Before we get started with this episode of The Watch Reup, I just wanted to mention that The Ringer now has merch. So go to bit.ly.com slash ringer merch where you can find shirts and hoodies. A portion of the proceeds from each purchase will benefit Charity Water, a nonprofit organization that provides clean and safe drinking water to people in developing nations. Again, go now to bitly.com slash ringer merch. Get the threads. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch Reup. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor of TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio is the editor-in-chief of TheRinger.com, Sean Fantasy. Thank you so much, Chris. I may be the editor-in-chief, but today I am the Harley Quinn to your Joker. <laughs> so excited to be here. Uh, um, Sean, I wanted to have you on. Andy is uh, in Philadelphia drinking a, a black cherry soda, chilling. So, lazy. Yeah. Lazy. Um, but we wanted to talk today a little bit. I mean, we were we wanted to talk about the year in movies 2016 and do a little bit of survey because earlier today you sent a message to me and you were like, I think this might be the worst summer in my adult life for movies. Yeah, that's right. And that sort of led to a larger conversation about the year in movies. And this is all kind of wrapped around this catastrophic last 48 hours for the like for suicide squad which whether or not you were personally invested in the movie or actually even interested in it is just kind of staggering to watch this happen to a multi-hundred million dollar investment by warner brothers so where we're at right now is that despite the fact that as of two days ago at least it was tracking at 140 million dollars for the opening weekend which is very significant yeah that's big um it has been absolutely savaged by critics by almost everybody who's seen it it's something at like 32% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. And we come into today with its director, David Ayer, last night, or this morning really, posting a quote from Emiliano Zapata that translated, it was in Spanish, but translated it was, it is better to die on your feet than to live on your knees. And then he followed that up with, Zapata quote is my way of saying, I love the movie and I believe in it. Made it for the fans, best experience of my life, heart emoji. Uh, what do you think about everything that's happened in the last 48 hours with, with this film? I think that this is something that could not have happened even five years ago. It's amazing that David Ayer has to send this tweet out two and a half days before the movie is even available to audiences. Uh, just the enormous amount of expectation that is placed on all these movies is horrifying. It was interesting to watch the torrent of negative reviews Mm -hmm. come out yesterday morning immediately after the embargo was lifted on reviews because it seemed like the movie critics of America had been sharpening their swords prepared to be unhappy about this movie, which is interesting because it has had a very long run up. You know, there's been a, a long conversation about the anticipation or lack thereof about Suicide Squad that started, I guess, last year when the first teaser came out and then really got amplified after Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice, the Zack Snyder film simultaneously made a lot of money, but not enough money, and was also really savaged by critics. So, Air was unfortunately placed in this situation where the guy who made Street Kings and Fury <laughs> yeah. and a number of other really and, dark, violent movies. And End of Watch and Sabotage. Yeah, yeah. who has like a very um, dystopic and violent and crime-laden you know, uh, filmography was then forced to brighten up the DC Comics movie universe. Yeah, so there was... um, You always love a behind-the-troubled production of blank 12 hours before your movie comes out to to show up in The Hollywood Reporter. That's what happened today. So Suicide Squad had the kind of... This Hollywood Reporter expose. 
in which it was suggested that it would need, need to make in the neighborhood of $750 million to break even. I don't know how that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there had basically been, Air had done his version. They started testing that version. It did not satisfy audiences. It did not satisfy the Warner Brothers. This is also happening at the same time as Batman versus Superman getting pretty roundly panned by most critics, all critics almost. And then they started working on a newer, ver- like a different version of the movie. And by all accounts, Suicide Squad is basically two or three different movies grafted onto one another. A very dark film. Then there's like a pop art, happy-go-lucky kind of fun comic book movie in there. And I don't know what else. And then you've got Jared Leto mailing people dead animal hearts. Right. Um, I just can't, I can't imagine what, at what point do you have to cut your losses? I mean, at what point do you, they've already tried giving it to Zack Snyder. And now Jeff Johns, who is sort of a big DC Comics guy, is in charge of a lot of this. It's sort of fascinating to watch. Like, I don't really know what you do. This is why Sony dropped Spider-Man entirely. I mean, they had like a six movie plan for the Spider-Man universe and it was such a bad investment that they were just like, we'll give up one of the most valuable comic book properties there is. Yeah, you know, last time you and I talked on this show, we talked about Civil War, the latest Captain yeah. America movie. And, you know, I think you felt like it was fine. And Jason Concepcion and I were like, this is actually really good. And the bar between those two things is closer than it seems. And the fact that DC can't even get close to it really makes you appreciate what the Marvel Comics movie universe is able to do. You know, it seems um, a little bit rote at this point. And as we wait for Thor Ragnarok or Doctor Strange or all these movies that seem inessential but are somehow part of this grander story that they're trying to tell, DC really can't get a a toehold on how to serve the audience. You know, they they thought they were going to go, they thought they were going to zag where Marvel had zigged and America seemed, and maybe the world seemed to think like, we prefer the zigging, you know, we're not super into the zagging. Yeah. So it, it's a tough spot for Suicide Squad. It's a tough spot for Warner Brothers. It's a tough spot for this entire DC plan. You know, obviously two weeks ago after Comic-Con, we were looking at the trailers for Wonder Woman and we were looking at the trailer, the, the tease trailer for Justice League and thought, oh, you know, maybe they've figured a couple of things out. And now they've just driven head on into another roadblock. And it comes on the heels of, I mean, we all had a lot of fun observing the disaster that befell Fantastic Four. I mean, not a lot of fun, because I think we all wanted that movie to be cool, and we like Miles Teller and Michael P. Jordan, and we like Chronicles, so we wanted Josh Trank to have a career. Yeah, we wanted it to be good. And that kind of fell apart. And there's been a couple of weeks, Andy and I have talked about this a lot recently, of talk about Rogue One reshoots, and how um, they were, and, you know, also the Star Wars stuff. I mean, Josh Trank was supposed to be the director of a star i don't know if it was going to be rogue one but it was supposed to be another i believe it was episode nine. Oh, okay right the one that trevor got yeah okay so it seems like either they studios can't control the product they're making or they really can't control the way people talk about it anymore well it's an interesting thing i think that historically in the 120 years of american movie making it's only in the last 10 to 15 that audience expectation has been a part of the equation that the studios have to consider. Yeah. In the past, a studio could announce, we're making a movie called Raiders of the Lost Ark about a character named Indiana Jones. And Americans would be like, I don't know who that is. Right. And then they would see a trailer and they would be like, that looks so fun. 
And then their friend would see it on Friday night and they would say, you have to see Raiders. I'll go see it again with you. Yes. And then there would be like, what what's on television? And they'd be like, nothing, because I have three channels. Exactly. <laughs> and so now in this era of fan service, in this era of expanded universes, in this era of all of this uh, IP that you and Andy are always talking about, we have to find a way to reconcile what we want from these movies. We didn't used to have to do that. We didn't used to have to care about what a mo- whether a movie about which we were sort of somewhat familiar with the original material was going to live up to some standard. Right. Like, you haven't read any Suicide Squad comic books, have you? No. I've read maybe one when I was 15. Like, it's not, it's not really a thing to me, but for some reason... I had never heard of Guardians of the Galaxy. Exactly. Nevertheless, it, there is this weight placed upon these movies mm-hmm. that the studios obviously are having a really hard time reconciling. It forces them then to rely, I think, more aggressively on market testing and on audience research, which, as we know, sometimes can be valuable, but for the most part, tends to screw movies up. I mean, really, that's what gets you into the situation that it sounds like Air has found himself in, which is he made Ocean's Eleven, and he also made Fury 2. Yeah, and he Uh, made the... The, the like the Brad Pitt part of Inglorious Bastards without any of the like wit and also right. has a crocodile face guy. Definitely has the baseball bat though. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, I have two. There's two different tracks I want to go on. Let me throw a theory at you first though. Part of the reason why the critique around Suicide Squad and the ill will towards it is so extreme is because the like media industrial complexes access to filmmakers and films and actors has become so rote and locked in where it's like you can talk to Will Smith for 35 seconds at a junket and they actually did do on set puff pieces for Suicide Squad as they have for I think um I don't know if they did it for Dawn of Justice, but they're doing them for Justice League. There were several journalists who were on the set of Justice League, and Ben Affleck right. was spending time with them and charming them in right. an effort to kind of turn the ship around on this one. So, I mean, I, there's still are there's still a cl- plenty of actor profiles. There's still plenty of, but the kind of thing where you see DT Max gets to spend months with Tony Gilroy really only happens in the New Yorker like once a year, twice a year. Yeah. Do you think that? Our lack of access or understanding of Hollywood contributes to our hostility towards it. If you knew more about the people who are making decisions or how a movie like this got made, do you think you would have more sympathy or empathy for like the final product? Or are you just like, this is shit. They wouldn't let us see it until Thursday. Well, for me personally, I, I try, guess that's I try to be empathetic about, yeah, yeah. about all artists trying sure. to make things. And I I very rarely will say this is shit unless I'm talking about Russell Westbrook's uh, perimeter game. You know, mm-hmm. like there are certain things that I'm very defined about. <laughs> it's hard. It's really, really hard to make a movie. If you've read any number of books sure. over the years, Devil's Candy, Down in Dirty Pictures, you know that it's like every movie making experience is a passion affair that is also feels like a war. And... I think if people did understand that more, they would have some more empathy. But frankly, when you're making, like I said, these fan service movies, people don't care about the people involved in making the movie. All they care about is that, you know, endorphin you get from a really enjoyable sequence that feels like what it felt like when you were 14 and reading a comic book or the, the first time you saw Star Wars when you were seven. Yeah. This is just such an unfair standard to hold people to. People feel that way about music. They feel that way about sports. You know, as people get older and they watch sports, they get cranky because the game isn't the way that they remember it. Sure. You know? this is, it's an ongoing story of American consumption. But I think it's really interesting in this case because it, it is fair to say that these DC movies so far have not been very good. And I don't say that to mock Zack Snyder openly. It's just 
even in the realm of a, a an average or above average Marvel movie, DC can't they can't crack the code. So even if we even if DT Max or or um, you know Tad Friend had spent a year on the set of Dawn of Justice. I don't think people would be more willing to forget. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't any more interested in Noah because they did a Darren Aronofsky feature in The New Yorker. I guess I'm trying to get at... I was more interested in Aronofsky, but not that movie. Yeah, I guess I'm trying to get more at, like, this idea... I guess it's not even how you sell it to people because I think a lot of people are still going to see Suicide Squad and Mm -hmm. a lot of people still want DC Comics movies to exist. What it seems like is that DC Comics so desperately needs to be past their... Great, we have the Avengers. So we have the rock on which to build everything off of. And now we get to do an Ant-Man. And now we get to do a Doctor Strange. And we get to do a Black Panther. We get to like experiment and have fun and try different things. But they're still so desperate to get 35 characters on the board so mm-hmm. that they can start building out the way Marvel has. I mean, it's kind of absurd when you think about they're making a Defender show and they're making a Luke Cage show. They're like so far ahead. Yep. in the world building that pretty soon they're going to go back and do a different team up movie with all the new people that they've come up with, you know? And it's, it's like DC is still trying to be like Batman and Superman. Yeah. They, they like I said, they just can't because they can't crack the code. They can't really get started. It's going to be particularly pernicious for them. I think when they try to make a, an Aquaman movie and a flash movie and a cyborg movie, yeah all of whom are characters that people largely do not care about. Right. Um, I don't think very many regular movie-going citizens know what Cyborg is. That's not... That's a second-tier DC character, and the star of that movie is someone people have never heard of. Right. So they're it, it, they're in a really difficult position in that respect. Now, movies get put in a turnaround all the time. But I think the reason that in this particular case with Suicide Squad, we have so much conversation building around it is because of what you said at the top of the show. This has been a horrendous summer. People are not happy about the movies. They had then put a lot of their eggs into the Suicide Squad basket. We've talked about it even in the offices of the website. You know, like, well, we think Suicide Squad's going to be a big deal. Let's prepare for that. Let's assign three, four, five yeah, pieces right. around it. And now with word that it's bad, we have to start reflecting on the fact that we can't can never count on these movies to be interesting. And so we have this lazy kind of uh, overfed summer that is full of movies that no one loves. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we're going to talk a little bit more generally about the year in movies. Hey, guys, just want to take a quick break to talk to you about our sponsor, SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show you want to go to, and none of those older ticket sites want to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along and created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. You know, summer is definitely concert season. There's so many festivals to go to, so many shows. I've been looking at SeatGeek all the time. I just check my phone. I used it the other day to look for Ryan Adams tickets at the Greek. It's so easy. With SeatGeek, you'll never have to waste time checking prices on other ticket sites because SeatGeek does that all for you by pulling tickets available on other sites all into one place so you save time and you never miss a deal. SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals to fit your budget. Best of all, listeners of The Watch get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and add a promo code, enter promo code WATCH, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code WATCH today. 
Okay, we're back. Sean, let's, we're going to talk a little bit about this year in movies 2016. I'm looking at the domestic gross champs for the year. Finding Dory, number one. Delightful. Sure. Captain America Civil War, sure. Deadpool, okay. It's shocking, but okay. That's a fascinating story in and of itself. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's been told. Both of these, the next two movies here, Deadpool and Jungle Book, I'm like, wow. You know, like, I don't, I didn't know that. I mean, John Favreau, like, typically makes pretty popular stuff yep deadpool's a shock zootopia so that's one two three basically children's movies and five films that are either children's movies or comic books right. batman superman secret life of pets x-men kung fu panda central intelligence that's the top 10 so the thing that's interesting to me about that and i'm curious what you think about it i don't think that that's terribly different from the last 10 summers we've had sure sequels comic book movies animated films movies that can get in a large number of people at a time movies that people want to see again and again so that they can ramp up ticket sales movies that are better experienced i think in a group setting or on a big screen Mm -hmm. than they are at home i think you'd probably rather watch deadpool with a thousand deadpool fans than you would in your basement maybe not sure um the 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 real tricky thing about this is i don't know if anybody loves any of those movies with the exception of deadpool i don't know if anybody is really really going to bat for them and will think this has to be in my blu-ray collection or i have to show my son this movie 20 years from now right and that's a as time goes by i find that more and more summers are like that and we talked about summer 2015 right yeah and some of the movies that we saw then that we really loved. There are a couple of sort of top line movies. Like we talked about Mad Max Fury Road. We do not have a Mad Max Fury Road this summer. No, we don't have, we don't have a Rogue Nation. Right. We don't have a movie that's even vaguely pointed towards people outside of the age of 13 to 18. It's true. You know what I mean? Right. In the 2015, the top films box office were Force Awakens, obviously, Jurassic World, Age of Ultron, Inside Out, Furious 7, Minions, Hunger Games, which seems like all the president's fucking men compared to these the martian cinderella specter mission impossible pitch perfect revenant ant-man that's kind of different that's a different vibe and maybe it'll level out as like the year goes on but we were looking at the movies that we've actually seen this year which is actually pretty short for where i should be in terms of I just there there's not as many movies being made in the theater that I go to. I mean, there's a lot of on demand stuff. There's mm-hmm. weird horror and we've been busy launching a website. There, there's that. Fairness. There's that. But you know, I'm looking at what we've got here, and you've initialed your like li- this list so that you have the things. I mean, there's like cool stuff. Everybody wants some. The Green Room Lobster. There's interesting Hollywood stuff that kind of got dumped like 13 hours. Um, the nice guys. Nice guys. Conjuring too. Shallows kind of came and went. I think that people were hoping that that might be a weird take in or the like the gray kind of. It did fairly well, but it it came and went. Right. What do you think is behind the apathy? I I don't want to be reductive, but it's but it's a podcast. It just seems like these movies are not very interesting. Right. Um, A lot of them are born out of recycled ideas, um, and a lot of them are are made seemingly dispassionately. You know, they, they seem to be made as like part of a corporate strategy and not by the, by dint of inspiration. But, you know, I think a movie like the nice guys is one that you and I talked about a lot before it came out. We were very excited for it. Both the huge Shane black fans were both huge Ryan Gosling fans. 
it was about the 70s. It's a detective story. There's a lot of it hit a lot of hit a lot of ticked a lot of boxes for us. Mm-hmm. And I actually was a little disappointed by it, even though I think it's good. Yeah. Um, but relative to the rest of the movies that we've seen this year, it, it feels like it's the kind uh, of it's the kind of disappointment patient. that would be great. Right. Yeah. Right. Do and you think that there's anything to the idea that the the middle that middle class the kind of the kind of movies that would have been the nice guys what the nice guys winds up being which Mm -hmm. is ultimately like a kind of a failure because it 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 set itself up to be like a big summer movie but Mm -hmm. wound up just kind of being like this that was really enjoyable but also completely convoluted and nonsense that that is now the realm of television that stranger things would have been a movie 15 years ago that um something like Fargo would have been the night that of. Sam Esmail would have been making movies that Richard Price and Steve Zalian should be making movies mm-hmm. that Ang Lee or whatever, you know, he directed like an episode of Tyron. He's got Billy Lee coming later this year yeah. or Billy Flint, Billy, Billy, Lynn. Billy yeah. Lynn's long halftime. Um, yeah. But like that, the, that a lot of these filmmakers and a lot of the actors who you would normally see like a David Harbor, who's in black mass and in, in a couple of things, you would see him, He's in. He's starring in a show rather than like improving a movie. I think there is a little bit of a brain drain, um, but it's not so deep that there shouldn't be more good movies. You know, there have been some here and there. I mean, you mentioned Green Room and Everybody Wants Some. Those movies were released within a week of each other. I keep a running list of every movie I've seen every year and have a very uh, specific star system that I use. Those are by far the two highest rated that I have. Yeah. Um, there's also there have been some good popcorn movies that also kind of come and go and you can be okay with that i thought 10 cloverfield lane did a nice job of just being an excuse to hang out on a saturday before going to dinner you know and right it was fun to talk about for an hour and then you can just move on with your life but there have been probably not enough 10 cloverfield lanes is part no. of the problem so no. setting aside there's not a fury road i don't know what are some of the other movies that you saw this year that you really loved is there anything of an order like that uh i thought that there's been a couple of like weird thriller or horror movies like the invitation um, the wave isn't really a horror movie it's more of a disaster movie but that was really cool um the witch was interesting triple nine was kind of morbid but i was like i'm into it i'm into kate winslet as like a russian crime lord mm-hmm. i liked nice guys i don't know i mean something like keanu it's like i liked keanu a lot but i that was actually one of the reasons why i wrote that trailers thing the other day whereas like there's a lot of keanu that's funny is in the keanu trailer mm-hmm. Or in the accumulated Keanu trailers, if you watch them more than once. Um, you know, you made an interesting point to me, too, earlier, which is that we I don't think there's a single movie that you could earmark as an, a quote-unquote Oscar movie thus far this year. No, it's really um, weird. Except maybe for one movie, which we did not put on our list and we have not talked about ahead of time. But I think the best movie of the year is O.J. Made in America. And yeah. that ran on television. Yeah. Um, and in, in the same way that you talked about Fargo and you talked about uh, Stranger Things, even though OJ Made in America ran on a few screens and people saw it in movie theaters, it's it's best experienced from the comfort of your own home where you can really like, you know, yeah. pour over it. And if you need to pause it, you can and go get a snack. That's a movie that feels like it's bucking against the conventions of contemporary movie making in an effort to tell a better story. And TV does the same same exact yeah, thing. Yeah, and that's what people have been getting excited about. I Me, mean, Andy and I were talking about that on Monday. It was that night of 
and Stranger Things didn't feel like episodic te- television, right. but they didn't feel like a mo- an endless movie. Yeah, Sam Adams on Slate today wrote a piece in praise of the eight-episode season for yeah. a TV show. And I, you know, I, I think that the, the core idea there is I'm always willing to go a little bit deeper into the lives of characters I care about in a two-hour movie, but I don't need 13 episodes of their lives. Yes. And so now I, I'll be curious to see if we continue to see the evolution of the six to eight episode season, you know, more of the, the British style of, yeah. of sitcom and drama that you and I uh, enjoy. I don't know what that means for movie going, though. I think that's kind of a slippery slope to to have a, essentially a generation of people who grow up on Netflix and are used to consuming things in bulk and yes. in a way are disappointed if something is only two hours. That's a, That's unique. You know, for us... We grew up watching Saturday morning cartoons and Star Wars, and then we'd wait three years for another Star Wars movie. Yeah. Well, yeah the, the, the the levels of consumption are so different now that it probably will transform a lot of this. Or you would go see films, and I think that piracy does have something to do with this, because I think you would go see movies in the theater, because that would be the only chance you had to see them for the nine months before they came out on video or DVD, or hit HBO or whatever. Mm-hmm. But now... If something is on DirecTV or if something, some stuff that's even, you know, in festivals, but just hasn't gotten to the theaters yet, it's usually findable online and it's usually findable in a fairly decent quality. And I like, I I don't like the variation in that quality. So I I just like go get it through the normal channels or I like going to the movies, but it doesn't, I can just see like, if you, if you think a kid likes working up like watching movies on netflix i guarantee you that person probably has like four or five sites they're going to where they're just like watching whatever is advertised on the front page of that site yeah it's interesting that you put it in those terms too two quick personal anecdotes let's do it that's what podcasts are for i recently celebrated a birthday i was a gift i received was a digital projector from my home that is the smaller than a rubik's cube and it sits on a mini tripod and it's a tiny little box and you plug in an HDMI cable into your computer and any movie you want to watch can be projected right onto your living room wall. It's a beautiful invention. It made me feel like I don't have to leave my house ever again, even though going to the movies is one of my favorite things. Right. But if I offer you that $50 ticket to watch just to watch Suicide Squad on Friday night in your house, would I do it? Yeah. I would certainly consider it. Here's the second anecdote. I was looking at an open house this weekend the open house was very nice. It was way out of our price range. <laughs> However, three bedrooms, three bathrooms, and a fourth room, a screening room. And it was designed in the staging area as a screening room. It was painted all black. It was filled with DVDs and film books. And there was a projector <laughs> in the room running Citizen Kane. Are you serious? And so you walk into the open house, and this, there was a ton of foot traffic in this open house. Did Warren Beatty then walk into the room? It's like, <laughs> I mean, hey, kid. Inevitably, my wife and I were talking about how... This must be an industry person because it was it was such a savvy move and everybody that you know when when she and I were sitting in the room just watching the movie and kind of taking it all in and imagining our lives with a screening room. Yeah. Another woman who we didn't know walked into the room and said, "Are you part of the staging? Because we oh looked like God. like a wrapped audience, you know." So. Although that would be pretty creepy if it was like, and this house comes with a white couple, like you know. <laughs> it, did, it 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 did yeah it did see, feel like we were we were being profiled in a yeah. very particular way. But the, my point is just that this is where what movie watching and TV watching is going, right? It's just it's only going to get better at home. It's something people have been talking about for 30 years. The onset uh, or the onslaught of 
home entertainment options, the the number of streaming services that are growing every day is remarkable. We were talking recently or earlier this week about the news of um, the executive at ABC who was responsible for developing Blackish going at yeah and uh, fresh off the boat as making a move to Awesomeness TV, which is now developing its own streaming platform. That's a Verizon company, right? Yes. Okay. And so that's. Yeah, that's where we are in 2016. Nobody wants to leave the house, and if they do, they have to be really big fans and know the source material. Does that bother you? I mean, not really. I wish the movies were better. I'm not even looking forward to that. Are you looking forward to a lot of movies this fall? It's it seems like no, an but off I feel year. like I've said that a lot. Like I've been, been I surprised? think I've said like there's no Paul Thomas Anderson movie this year. Like and you look at the first. Let me let's let's finish the the. the the where we watch before it's like what are we gonna watch okay i i am interested in this idea because i think that i have such like an incredibly tactile and important relationship to video stores and independent movie theaters where I, you, know, you find your tribe and you're kind of like oh there's other people who care about x mm-hmm. out here and that kind of is disturbing if that never happens for people anymore. Although I think that people probably find that online now, I would hope. Reddit, yeah. And I also hope that if that's true and people start making the move to, look, the movies are just another another like slot on my remote control is what is in the quote-unquote in the theaters, feature-length films. I do hope that there is an explosion of like independent movies again because I do feel like you know, a lot of it is there's there's a lot of art films out there, and some of like I probably don't see as much as I probably would have when I was in my twenties. Mm-hmm. But it does feel like the focus features level movie and around there is more often than not still targeted at a very specific demo, like the Florence Foster Jenkins. Like we've got to get sixty five year old white women to come to a movie. Yeah, momcore. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I think that that's definitely true. Although even that has been has been gutted a bit over the last 10 years. It's interesting. I've been reading a lot of interviews with James Seamus, who directed mm-hmm. uh, Indignation, yeah, right. Philip Roth yeah. adaptation. And he used to run Focus Features. He ran Focus Features for 13 yeah. years. He got fired a few years ago. And it was interesting to hear him reflect on the difficulties of trying to finance a Philip Roth adaptation. His first, his directorial debut um, sounded hard. It sounded like they got 17 companies to kick in money for a small movie set in the 50s starring Logan Lerman and Sarah yeah. Gadden. You know, this is not... Um, this is not Star Wars. Uh, Producing those films is probably going to become like putting out Harper's or putting out the Paris Review. That's right. It's like basically you have to have a philanthropist. I read that there is a back and forth between Peter Bart and Mike Fleming semi-regularly on Deadline and they were talking about how they've noticed that agents have taken a back seat in putting together movies and that movies need champions is is the philosophy behind like they were talking about I can't remember what movie it was referring to. But anyway, they were saying basically you used to have an agent, a power super agent who would get the director and the star and the screenwriter and the producer and they're all together and everybody's rowing the same direction. And they just power that movie through the studio. Right. They basically power it through this process. Right. All a the Brian way Lord type who yeah. says, I have Julia Roberts and I have Robert Zemeckis. And now more often than not, you're seeing agencies that are like, we're going to buy MMA mm-hmm. and we're going to buy an esports company and a soft drink yes and an energy drink or whatever and that that's they're so diversified that just even if you thought that agents pre-packaging movies was a bad thing for your conception of autorism or something it still was effective in getting a julia roberts movie made or a denzel washington movie made 
and now that's just not happening. Yeah, I wish there were more movies specifically like um, The Girl on the Train, which I, I don't know if that movie is going to be a hit or not. Um, it's obviously based on a bestseller, a huge bestseller, but it, it feels somewhere in between that blockbuster we have to make X hundred millions of dollars to break even and the middle ground movie that is always lamented. It's kind of in the middle. It's like a... It's like a um, refined blockbuster yeah. in some yeah. ways, you know, big cast and a talented director. And they're selling it basically as Gone Girl meets Fifty Shades. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, there's just not a lot of movies like that anymore. And a lot of the time, if they're not good, it seems like executives use it as an excuse to say, well, this doesn't work. We need to go buy another MMA. Right. Um, which is which is frustrating as a fan of two and a half star movies you know yeah. there's like a whole industry that we're that we're talking about of movies that you like you're like that was pretty good like it's one of the reasons why i'm kind of into a24 when they're just like we're just gonna put out son of a gun you know we're yeah. gonna put out like a weird ewan mcgregor thriller yeah i mean i think that they're on vod and like you you know yeah their strategy is really interesting like they have obviously phenomenal taste but they also take a lot of chances and mm-hmm. if, if you know they put morris from america which is a big sundance hit on vod a month before it was in theaters and if you have direct tv you can watch it and if not don't and yeah it's you know and it doesn't seem to really hurt their bottom line doesn't really seem to hurt any of their credibility um but those small companies with with great taste are fewer and farther between than they were 10 15 years ago um let's take a look at what's coming out this year what are we excited about I think that there's a lot of biopic stuff that seems kind of bad. Okay. Sully, Snowden, um, you know, it's that's that stuff is not inspiring me. Inferno, um, is that Jack Reacher too? Something about. I wish Jack Reacher was a biopic. A generation of filmmakers that maybe need to chill. Like, do we? Do you wish that everything that went into Sully was being given to? I mean, this is the problem: is that Clint Eastwood is making bad movies. Mm-hmm. And Colin Trevorrow is making franchise movies. Right. I mean, he's got a, I think I know he has like something else coming out, but he's doing basically whatever Spielberg and Kathleen Kennedy tell him to do, it seems like. Yeah, I think he has to, he also is forced to live up to a lot of expectation. I think you have a generation of directors who are older and still very powerful. Clint Eastwood, Ron Howard, Steven Spielberg, Robert Zemeckis, who are still active. And if they had made these movies if they were between the ages of 35 and 45, they probably would have been better movies. I'm willing to bet Oliver Stone Snowden, whatever iteration Mm -hmm. of that made when he was 40 years old would have been a house on fire. But now the expectation is like, what, what is Joseph Gordon-Levitt doing with his voice? And like, I'm ready to make fun of this already. Yeah. Yeah. Shailene Woodley's wearing a wig. Yeah. Yeah. This is so goofy. Um, it's just harder to take that stuff seriously, I guess, unless you really, really, really do it well, which as we know is difficult. Ben Wheatley has another movie coming out this year. I should mention that, I think High Rise is incredibly f- flawed, but was at the very least like kept my attention. There's interesting stuff in the it entire sure. time. Yeah. He's got a movie called Free Fire coming out, which is a shoot 'em up set in Boston. I think. Um, you're right. There's a lot of biopics. There's a lot of um, Patriots Day, Mark Wahlberg, J.K. Simmons for Peter Berg. Yeah, There's... Doctor Strange. I mean, I, uh, Quiet is kept. Bleed for this. I'm not uh, mad at you. I'm not mad at you uh, for bringing it up. Miles Teller. I respect you for for looking me in the eye when you said it. He just he Vinny, he's playing Vinny Paz. He looks great. <laughs> he's in a he's in a cheetah themed thong. Yeah. He's crushing it to Billy Squire. I think he's got could, Eckhart. Yeah, Eckhart with the bald method acting paint. with his hairline. Yeah, yeah that's big. 
I it, it's it's bad though. I mean, you know, I think obviously we're still interested in Rogue One. Um, I think there are going to be a couple of prestige pictures that look interesting yeah. as the year goes on. Manchester by the Sea supposed yes. to be incredible. Kenneth Longer and hasn't made a movie since Margaret. Can't yes. wait for that. But likewise, like Magnificent Seven. I'm in. Go go ahead. Yeah, explain. F- Fuqua. First of all, yeah, Antoine, Antoine Fuqua. Fuqua. Uh, if you put Sarsgaard, Denzel, and Ethan Hawke in a movie, I will see it. <laughs> And I'm excited for it. Pratt looks good in this. I think it's going to be really stupid, but I'm excited. It's basically like, what if Unforgiven was an action movie? Um, I mean, I know it's also, what if we remade the Magnificent Seven? That's why they called it Magnificent Seven. Some other movies that are coming out that I'm excited for. I will see Silence, the Martin Scorsese movie, because I see Martin Scorsese movies. I am excited for Stephen Gagan's Gold. I don't know anything about that. It's Matthew McConaughey as a like modern-day treasure hunter. And Stephen Gagan hasn't made a movie since Syriana. I saw that movie. It's called National Treasure. <laughs> stars Nicolas Cage. What was the other... What was the Dirk's... What, like, the Sahara? When he was like... Who does he play in that movie? Uh, I'm a man looking for a treasure. It's like... A famously failed movie that was had a huge court battle. Um, it, also say, this is a... It has been a bad summer. Dirk was, Pitt. That's the name of the character. Dirk Pitt. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, that does that sounds like a like like one of the people bojack horseman runs against in the oscars <laughs> i look forward to you publishing all your pieces on the ringer under the name dirk pitt yeah uh, otherwise it's it's uh it's disheartening i'm sure that some things will come across that we're really excited about you've seen a couple of the good docs this year you've seen yeah wiener and De palma yeah they're good there'll be some more stuff like that birth of a nation is gonna be a thing yeah, we'll have to be prepared to to grapple with that. David one. Michaud's War Machine with Brad Pitt as General Stanley McChrystal. I'm excited for that. Emery Cohen is in that. Yeah, he's a he's a he's a big guy for us. <laughs> Emery Cohen's the massive. Gambler, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm excited for Billy Flynn because I think it'll just be interesting to see. Um, I'm excited for Denzel Washington's Fences. We don't get serious like keep, keeping it 100, throwing 90 miles per hour Denzel very often. Yeah. I don't, have we ever gotten August Wilson on nope. screen? No. So that's, that's fascinating in and of itself. I'm excited for Assassin's Creed, maybe? Sure. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll mess with that. Video yeah. game character. I'm yeah. excited for La La Land. Yeah. I think actually one of the biggest ones in the, the, the onslaught has not started for this, um, but Passengers yeah. starring Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence, um, which who is directed a that? sci-fi movie. Uh, I, I want to say it's the, the guy who directed, um, Morton Tilden. Oh yeah. The imitation yeah, yeah. game filmmaker. Um, but that's a movie that is a big deal for Sony that was much talked about in the Sony hacks, you know, as a huge budget. Um, I think Amy Pascal started shepherding it before she was deposed. She's never wrong. I mean, have we talked about this? Well, I, you know, Ghostbusters, which is a movie we have not talked about, slightly reorients that conversation. True. Because Ghostbusters has been a big topic of conversation for many months, particularly among our staff for the last couple of days. Yeah. About its relative merits and demerits, and also its box office kind of middling success. The perception of its box office, too. Yeah. The fact that it was spent $150 million to make it, that the marketing budget was no doubt X millions of dollars. That we can't calculate. It's and another so, film that even if it didn't have a lot of, at least if there was any, we don't know about it, like meddling. It's another film that had a very troubled lead up because it was very unfairly criticized without anybody actually having seen it. And then it, that some of that was played into by the studio by saying like, do you know who's in Ghostbusters? But isn't in Ghostbusters is Carmelo Anthony. 
right. basketball fans, and it was just like really, really weird choices every step of the way. Yeah, that, that effort to try to draw in people they perceive to be angry male fans who are rejecting the concept of female Ghostbusters, which is so absurd in its own in its own sense. But I think the fact that that movie has not necessarily been the mega success that some people want it to be, particularly in this age of intellectual property. Mm-hmm has caused this sort of false panic among can we have, can we do this gender swapping with old school roles? You know, there was a lot of news earlier this week about Chris Hemsworth take, or excuse me, Channing Tatum taking over the, uh, the splash role, splash role from Daryl Hannah, which is, um, you know, fun. I'm sure it will be fun and funny. And Jillian Bell is playing the Tom Hanks role, which is great. Um, it's, it's just, there's no, there's no solution. Like everything is not a referendum on whether we should let, women hold machines that kill ghosts like that's not just because a movie didn't make 220 million dollars yeah doesn't mean we can't do another movie like that but that's the that is how the industry makes us think if you what's your confidence level that you and i could do a podcast in january and be like that was a pretty good year for movies very low very low i wrote a column um at our old job a few years ago about rap and the year and rap and mm-hmm. things were going very poorly. And the piece was basically like, we are in a bit of a crisis moment. And I read that recently and I was, I felt like I had made some reasonable points and then it bare, it bore out at the end of the year that it was not a very good year in rap. No. And I don't think it was necessarily a genre crisis. Sometimes you just have a bad year. I feel like this is just one of those bad years. There are things that are hurting the industry that are making they're kind of squeezing there's also things that, like you, you and i as two people who love movies perhaps more than anybody really should i think that there are things that we know about as like the meta narrative around movies that are seemingly deteriorating a little bit i was thinking about this a lot like who are filmmakers are there filmmakers that are competing with each other are there filmmakers the way that we grew up understanding that in the 70s, people were competing with each other and that PTA and, and Quentin Tarantino compete with each other and that I want to know if people are watching a Denis Villeneuve movie and then saying, like, I want to top that. I, wanna- I think to go back to the conversation that you guys have all the time on The Watch, the people who are competing with each other are, are Damon, Damon Lindelof yeah. and Sam Esmail and Noah Hawley and the, the people who are in control of shows, you know, Shonda Rhimes yeah. and... Uh, you know, Sarah Gertrude Shapiro, people who are in control of TV shows that have in rabid fan bases and are often doing things that are unexpected. That is the new competition. That is the new Soderbergh, Fincher, Paul Thomas Anderson, Wes Anderson, Quentin Tarantino generation. You know, like those five to 12 filmmakers. You know what? Two of those dudes are all, two of those people are already making television more than they make movies. Exactly. Fincher made House of Cards. Fincher had th- two, uh, several television projects in the works. And is now making uh, Mindhunter for Netflix. Soderbergh did the Nick, executive produced The Girlfriend Experience. I know he's going back to fe- theatrical filmmaking, but it wouldn't surprise me if in two years there's another Soderbergh show on the air. I mean, this is just where people want to go if they want to push things forward, I guess. Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Should we cancel movies? We have the power to do so right now on this show. I don't know if we should cancel movies, but I would hate to think that move it makes me sad to consider movies falling out of an essential part of like American discourse. It sucks that they're 
it, more than this being a bad list of movies and me being like, these movies aren't as good as movies that I remember, there's not a single movie on here that I feel like I've had like a conversation with that lasted more than a day or two in in conversation time. Okay, let's let's close the loop on this then. I think actually what's happening with Suicide Squad is good for movies. And it may not seem that way because I think a lot of people are not going to like this movie. But Michael Cimino, the great filmmaker, died earlier this year. His greatest uh the thing he's most remembered for not beyond even the deer hunter one of his masterpieces is his biggest failure heaven's Heaven's gate Gate. yeah people talked about heaven's gate all week the week after he died and how it's secretly a masterpiece and what it really cost the studio and how it how it killed the age of the 70s filmmaking killed united artists yeah Yeah. how it ruined so many things but there are still a lot of people who really admire the movie and it, it burnished mythology in the minds of movie lovers. You know, it created this whole new complexity to what you, what movies can do. Suicide Squad is probably less of an artistic achievement than Heaven's Gate, and its ambition is probably not as high. However, for the last 48 hours, all we've seen is people talk about a movie. That's nice. We don't get that anymore. It's interesting. I, I'll, be, I'll be fascinated to see... The box office this weekend, but more importantly, the box office in a week or two. Right. And whether or not this was just like all the people who were waiting a year for Suicide Squad to come out. And frankly, there's nothing else to see. (laughs) I mean, if Jason Bourne makes $20 million next weekend, I'll be really surprised. I think um, there are a few other things to see. For example, Little Men, Iris Sachs' new film starring Greg Kinnear. Consider that, Chris. <laughs> Consider the Kinnear. All right, that's as good a place as any to stop. Thanks so much for joining me this week, Sean. It's always so fun to talk about movies with you. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. All right, man. Take care.